We all love to get out on the open road, see the country, feel the wind in our hair. But if you have the same car you've been driving for years, you might not feel so great after a car breakdown, unless you have a plan through CarShield. CarShield is America's most trusted vehicle protection company, and for almost 20 years, they've helped Americans protect their out-of-warranty vehicles. From car and trucks to SUVs, a plan through CarShield can protect up to 5,000 parts and systems and save you big dollars on your engine, transmission, entertainment system, and more. It's as easy as going to carshield.com Shapiro. With plans that include unlimited miles, road trips have never been easier. Plus, you get exclusive access to CarShield's concierge service, as well as 24-7 roadside assistance and help with flat or damaged tires, lockouts, and rental car options. Call CarShield to speak with an expert here in the U.S. that can answer all your questions and get you a free quote in minutes. Don't wait another minute. Visit CarShield now before a breakdown happens and you get stuck with an expensive repair bill. Save 20% and get your free quote by going to carshield.com Shapiro now. That's carshield.com Shapiro to save 20% today. You know, for years, the right has been complaining about the culture. Andrew Breitbart used to say politics is downstream from culture, and that is absolutely true. Just about everything you see that's happening started 20 years ago with the culture. But now Donald Trump, a figure created by the culture, is actually fighting a war for the culture, fighting back for the right in the culture, and the right has suddenly left the building. Conservative film critic Christian Toto of Hollywood in Toto will be here to, to discuss it all with me. But first, every now and again, I like to do my little part to bring our divided country together by building bridges between conservatives like myself and the communist jerkweeds on the other side. Today, in that spirit of bright goodwill, I'd like to examine some of the major issues from both political perspectives, the right and the one with all the knuckleheads. Let's start with health care reform. We on the right believe it's inherently dangerous to put government in control of health care. The tragic problems at the VA are proof. We think it violates the freedom of medical personnel to require them to work for government-determined wages. And we think it strips freedom-loving Americans of the right and responsibility to decide how to take care of themselves. On the left, they believe it was so sad when Jimmy Kimmel cried, because he's so funny when he pretends to feud with Matt Damon, and Jimmy and Matt are so cool, and Donald Trump is so mean that we should just make everything free like they do in Scandinavia or someplace. So those are the healthcare arguments. But what about the issue of climate change? We on the right believe a conscious care for our environment needn't involve hysterical government overreach or business-killing regulations. Capitalist innovation and public education have made great strides in reducing harmful emissions, and there's no reason to socialize a major sector of the energy economy because a group of consistently unreliable computer models predict disaster and a left-wing media spreads panic in order to allow the government to seize even more power. On the left, they believe that 97% of someone or other says that Al Gore is right and the world is going to end three years ago. And even if the Paris Accord does nothing, it shows how virtuous we are, so yay Obama and anyone who doesn't believe that started the Holocaust. So that's climate change. On the subject of free speech, the right believes free speech is the central pillar of liberty and must be protected even at the cost of hearing things we don't like. The left believes shut up, shut up, shut up, and puts its fingers in its ears and whistles Dixie and then says Dixie is racist and then hits you with a stick. So I think we're beginning to see that when we compare right-wing arguments to left-wing arguments, it helps to unite us all in ridiculing left-wing arguments. And isn't that what America is all about? God, I hope so. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Clavin, and this is The Andrew Clavin Show. I feel hunky-dunky, life is tickety-boo. Birds are winging, also singing, hunky-dunky-dee-doo. 
ship shaped tipsy topsy. The world is a bit easing. It's a wonderful day. Hurrah, hooray! It makes me want to sing. Oh, hurrah, hooray! Oh, hooray, hurrah! Stop the hammering! <laughs> I'm sorry. We, we, get, we get a little excited here. We have to calm down. We need a little, like, some of that single nostril breathing, I think. But, you know, you do hold, and you breathe through one, and you hold it, and then you exhale through the other, and you keep going. I'm so, I'm so, so glad we're calmer now because uh, we have the mailbag coming. So I know that gets everybody excited, and we have to, you know, kind of do a little bit of that... Maybe maybe that's cocaine. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what it is. But the mailbag tomorrow. Get your mailbag questions in. You cannot be in the mailbag if you don't subscribe to the Daily Wire. It's lousy ten bucks a month. We answer all your questions, religious questions, personal questions, political questions, and the answers are guaranteed 100% correct and will change your life every now and again for the better. So pay up your lousy 10 bucks. You can watch the entire show at the Daily Wire site. And if you subscribe for a year, it's only a lousy 100 bucks. You get the leftist tears tumbler. I know, I know. Plus, Lindsay is here. Do we have a camera that we can put on Lindsay? It's like the best looking, no? That's, uh, <laughs> come on over, Lindsay. That's, <laughs> Lindsay. Lindsay and company. Lindsay now has company that she's carrying around. Oh, yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> little DDY. We're in the making. And we, I, <laughs> maybe you can come in live tomorrow for the mailbag. You can do the woohoo live. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, and Christian Toto, as I said, from Hollywood and Toto, is going to be here to talk about boycotting things and whether that is effective. You know, the important thing in life, I just want to say this, it will give you a little wisdom before we even get to the mailbag. The important thing in life is not whether you're happy or smiling. It's whether when you smile, your smile is bright. Because we're shallow. That's why we don't care about whether you're happy. You just have to look good. But seriously, seriously, it is not fun. And I know this. It is not fun when your teeth get stained up. And especially... You know, you drink coffee, we smoke a little cigars, drink a little red wine. Suddenly you look like something out of, you know, like a horror show. I don't know why this is, but I know this is true. My dentist's cleaning person, the person who cleans my teeth, told me this. Electric toothbrushes are the answer. I went and I asked her, and she said, get an electric toothbrush. I did, and it cleared the problem up. The problem with electric toothbrushes is they're like bazookas, the size of these things, you know? You put them in, and then you go, like, you go to travel, and you put it in, and, like, they, the TSA stops you. They think it's a weapon and all this stuff. But if you get a quip, you get the electric toothbrush, but they're sleek and beautifully made, and they do everything an electric toothbrush needs to do, but they have the, they're just like as if like Apple, like they're like an eye brush, basically. They're like like just a really clever designer made a quip. And the thing about this is, too, they, they have all kinds of things to help you out. You need to change the brushes on these every three months on all electric toothbrushes, not just Quip. And you can subscribe with Quip and receive a new brush head on a dentist-recommended three-month plan for just five bucks, including free shipping. You know, you will find out why Time, this is one of Time Magazine's best inventions of 2016. They won a 2016 GQ Grooming Award. They made it onto Oprah's 2017 New Year's O-List, and these toothbrushes start at just 25 bucks. Right now, go to getquip.com slash Clavin to get your first refill pack free with a Quip electric toothbrush. You know, I'm so happy you asked me that question because, you know, I didn't think about it. <laughs> I know, I you realize you didn't know. It's like, where was it? K-L-A-V-A-N, getquip.com slash 
Clavin will get, get you a first refill pack for free with a Quip electric toothbrush. First refill pack free at getquip.com slash Clavin. G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash Clavin. All right. So, you know, there, there's news today. I mean, there's, there's all kinds of breaking news. The, the uh, North Korean foreign minister declared that we are at war with them. They said, <laughs> they read one of uh, Trump's tweets saying they're not going to be around for long, and he decided that was a declaration of, of war, and they now have the right to shoot our aircraft out of the sky. <laughs> yeah, I try that. That's going to end really, really well for North Korea. You know, now when you fly over North Korea at night, it's dark because they all, they don't have electricity because they all they put all their energy into this stupid dictator. Uh, if they do that, you'll go over and it'll just be a flaming red hole <laughs> in the ground where North Korea goes. And the health care bill, the Graham-Cassidy bill, it looks like it may be doomed. Brand Paul, John McCain, uh, and Susan Collins are all against it right now. So that's going to be a hard thing to pass. Why do I want to go back to the NFL for a couple of seconds? I have to go back to the NFL, and I will tell you why. I mean, first, let, let's just catch up. The NFL controversy kind of extended a little bit. There was Monday Night Football, which I didn't watch because these creeps keep disrespecting the flag. But the Dallas, Dallas Cowboys came out, and they knelt before the national anthem, and then and the audience booed, and then they stood up for the national anthem, which, fine. I'm fine with that. You know, in other words, they were saying, we have the, are a team, we're unified together, but we respect the flag. Fine. It's all a little complex at this point, but it's fine. The one that was kind of weird was Alejandro uh, Villanueva, who was the, one of the veteran stealer. A, I'm sorry, he was a veteran. He's an Army Ranger with three tours overseas. And he was the uh, Pittsburgh Steeler who came out alone and saluted the flag. He apologized. Now, what he said was that the idea was the Steelers were going to stand just within the locker room gateway, and they were going to salute the flag in there. But he walked out ahead of them by mistake. And it now became this famous picture of him standing alone saluting the flag, this veteran saluting the flag. His jersey became the most popular jersey. And now he comes out and apologizes. Listen to this. I've made uh, Coach Tomlin uh, look bad, and, and that is my fault, and that is my fault only. I've made my teammates look bad, and that is my fault, and my fault only. And I made the Steelers uh, also look bad, and that is my fault, and my fault only. So unwillingly, I have, I've made a mistake. Um, and so, um, you know, I've, I've, I've talked to my teammates about the situation. Hopefully they understand it. If they don't, I still have to live with it because uh, the nature of this debate is, uh, is, is, is causing a lot of, of uh, very heated uh, reactions from, from fans, from players, and, and it's undeserving to all the players and coaches from this organization. So, I mean, some people said, oh, he must have been bullied into doing this. Um, how do you bully an Army Ranger who's like an offensive lineman? You know, like, what exactly? What, what's the technique there? No, I think he felt like probably he's telling the truth. Probably he didn't mean it to come out like that. But the very fact that it made them look bad should tell them something. The very fact that he made them look bad by standing there, even if he did it accidentally, should tell them something. Well, it obviously the left knows, the left knows they have been caught with their foot in the ringer here because, because Trump does this over and over again. He takes a popular opinion. He says he he pronounces it, he speaks for it in a, the most garish, uh, violent way possible. The left overreacts and they wind up supporting Kim Jong-un and dissing the flag and they know they got caught. They know they got caught, so now they're going to the race card. Play the race card. It's all about the race card. Here is, you gotta hear this, this is perfect. Wolf Blitzer talking to Cornell Brook of the NAACP and Blitzer was doing this 
all day long with every guest he had, especially if the guest was black, okay? He's, he set, he's this set-up question, this T-ball question, call Trump a racist. Here it is. Well, this uh, morning, the president tweeted mm. this, uh, and I'll put it up on the screen. The issue of kneeling has nothing to do with race. It is about respect for our country, flag, and national anthem. NFL must respect this. What's your, rea re your response to that, Cornell? The pre unfortunately, it pains me to say this, that the president's tweets and comments had nothing to do with the flag and everything to do with race. When the president refers to Colin Kaepernick, in Alabama as a son of the B-word. It is racial code for the N-word across America and in Alabama. And, and this, I just play this as a sample. This is all over the news. It's all about race. It's all, and this is what the left does. It's always about race. And they're, they're, now they put this in their, their backpack and they carry it around. So anytime they mention Donald Trump, it's going to be about race. Hillary Clinton tied it, and she was not alone in doing this. She tied it to the Charlottesville thing. She, well, listen to what she says. All untrue. He attacks black athletes, as he did, uh, starting with his rally in Alabama, continued on Twitter. And he attacks them for protesting peacefully, uh, for equality, for standing up for what they believe. And he does it once again to dog whistle to his base and to uh, try to detract attention uh, from other things that are going on. But it's quite telling that he is willing to attack black athletes. He never says anything of an insulting manner toward white supremacists or neo-Nazis or Ku Klux Klaners or Vladimir Putin, right? You know, I, I don't know, she looks a little tense. She could probably use some single nostril breathing, I think. But you know, you do hold, and you breathe through one, <laughs> and you hold it, and then you exhale through the other, and you keep going. <laughs> she, she's like a convict. You know what they say about, guards say about convicts, how do you know when a convict is lying, his mouth is moving? That's like, all this stuff, you know, he never attacks, you know, Trump never attacks white supremacy. He does again and again and again. He never said there were good people among the white supremacists and all this stuff. The point, the point I'm making here is the left knows this matters. The left knows this is where American culture is fought. It is fought on reality TV, it's fought on television, it's fought in the movies, it's fought in sports. This is the culture. Now here's the thing, I've been fighting this fight now, I don't know, it's gotta be 15 years when I suddenly noticed that the culture was where all this stuff takes place. And I would go and make speeches, and I, I used to describe it, I used to say it was like telling my wife that when you buy something on sale, it still costs money. And when you say that to, to my wife, she looks at you like, you're a cute guy, and I know something is coming out of your mouth, but I have got no idea what you're talking about. That's when you talk to conservatives about the culture. That's what it's like. I come on, and I make jokes, and I do an opening routine. Sometimes you go on Facebook, and the comments are coming in. Why is he making jokes? Why is he making jokes? Things are serious. Why isn't he, you know? And then they think like, well, why don't we have a, a, a daily show? Why isn't there a conservative? That's why. That's why, you're not laughing, that is why. And they say like, why is there sex and violence in TV, in movies? Because movies and TV are about sex and violence. That's what stories are about. Watch the operas, watch Shakespeare. That's what it's about. You're not gonna win any points. I got nothing against like happy-go-lucky Christian films, although they seem to me to have nothing to do with Christianity, but that's, that's fine. You wanna make those movies, go ahead. But you know, 
the culture is violent. The culture art is violent from the Iliad on. It's violent. It's sexy. It's got all this stuff. If you're going to talk to people in the words, in the uh, in terms of culture, you got to talk to them like that. And this is the thing. You know, I remember I was invited, honored to be invited to Laura Bush's one of Laura Bush's book things, right? And I got up and gave a reading in a big tent, and you're on the Washington Mall, and I got up and gave a reading for my book, Empire of Lies, which has basically turned me from a guy who got 300, uh, got reviewed in like 300 venues to a guy who got reviewed in one venue. You know, the minute I wrote this book, I knew, boy, oh boy, this is gonna, I'm gonna take a hit for this because it has a conservative hero, a conservative Christian hero, an openly conservative, politically conservative Christian hero. So I just read some of the book. And afterwards, they had questions. And the first question I got was, how does it feel when you have to embody a character like this? What, you know, is, it, is it awful? You know, does, it, does it feel? And I said, I love the guy. I love the guy. And the woman looked at me like she had no idea what, you know, what I was talking about. I went and saw this picture uh, over the weekend, Logan Lucky. And it's just a heist movie featuring hillbillies and by Steven Soderbergh, who made the Ocean's Eleven story. And he said, you know, he read Hillbilly Elegy, a really good book about hillbillies and all this stuff. And so he just wanted to make a movie about it. The movie is fun. It's, it's a fun heist movie, but it has no, re no theme, no point, no purpose. It, he just wanted to see these people that he never knew existed before, you know, that he doesn't understand. And even in the movie, they can only deal with them in terms of their dysfunction, in terms of their being unemployed, in terms of their being uh, not well-educated, in terms of them living in trailers. Not that they're not sympathetic characters, it's just that's the only way he can deal with them. You know, so, so what I'm saying is, this is the fight for the culture. Donald Trump is fighting the fight for the culture. And you know, people, I I'm not even gonna name them because I like them, conservatives I like and respect and whose ideas I respect and whose personality and lives I respect are saying like, why is he doing this? This is dumb, why is he doing this? Well, he's doing it, this is where the fight takes place. 20 years from now, it's gonna matter whether we believe, the, the fight over the national anthem is a fight over whether we believe that America is a country like all countries with problems that can be fixed through the American way, or we believe America is irredeemable, that America is the problem, right? Like Barack Obama was always scolding America. You know, it's not that, it's not that we who are, consider ourselves patriotic think America's perfect. Nobody, we're not dumb. Nobody thinks America's perfect. Not, it's got people in it. You, you can have a perfect country, you have a country with people in it. You can't have both. But this is the question. The question that is being asked is do we honor our country and solve our problems as Americans through the American way, or is the country itself the problem? Is the country itself a white supremacist, evil, slave-based country, right? That's the, that's the question. Trump is actually fighting that issue in his own belligerent, and I, you know, I'm not the biggest Donald Trump fan. I don't even like the guy personally that much, but he's doing what Trump does. He is a different kind of president, and he's doing this thing. And I'll get back and talk about, show you how some of this is really important, but first we have to talk about meat. <laughs> because what is more important? I like I, I'm a steak guy. My favorite meal. If you had to pick favorite meals, it would be a steak and a glass of scotch. You give me a steak and a glass of scotch and a cigar afterwards, and I am in Claven Heaven or or, or Cle Cleveland Haven or whatever it is. But <laughs> so they we have 
uh, Omaha Steaks as one of our sponsors, and they sent us some of this stuff. It is unbelievable. These meats are unbelievable. And now they have a one-of-a-kind gift for food lovers, even if you give it to yourself. It's $499, but it is huge. You get tons of gourmet Omaha Steaks and Meats, plus a Weber kettle grill and accessories. Everything is delivered. Everything is guaranteed. I, it, I'm telling you, this meat is different. It, it is. I don't know what it is probably like happy cows or something like this, but uh, but whatever it is, it really does taste terrific. We've been grilling it all summer and it's really good. This is the way to get the best food gift ever or to give the best food gift ever. Tons of genuine aged steaks, premium meats, the Weber kettle grill accessories, and it ships for free and it's 100% guaranteed. Here's what you get. Six ounce filet mignons, six, six ounce filet mignons, four 10 ounce New York strips, four 10 ounce ribeyes, and two 18 ounce T-bone steaks, eight gourmet brats and eight signature burgers, six pork chops, three pounds chicken breast. I mean, it's a big thing. Omaha steaks, gourmet steak rubs, charcoal chimney starter, digital meat thermometer, complete grilling tool set, plus the 22 inch Weber original kettle grill. I'm gonna find out how I can get you this because uh, it also there also is a smoking experience and a sous vide experience available online now. For my listeners, this new package delivers for only $499. Go to omahasteaks.com, type in Andrew in the search bar, and choose your ultimate Omaha Steaks experience. Again, visit omahasteaks.com and enter code Andrew in the search bar to get this one-of-a-kind experience today. That is a lot of meat. That is plenty meat. Uh, we're going to say goodbye to Facebook and YouTube Mailbag is tomorrow, so this would be a perfect time to come over to thedailywire.com and subscribe, whereupon you can watch the rest of the show right there. You can watch the whole thing right on thedailywire.com for only a lousy 10 bucks a month, plus all your questions answered, all your problems solved. I mean, pretty cheap. All right, we got, uh, we got Christian Toto coming up, but first I just want to continue this thought for just a minute before we go over there. You know, there's this fight in Alabama uh, for the guy who's going to replace Jeff Sessions, who's now the attorney general. So they need somebody to replace Jeff Sessions in the Senate. And two Republicans, Luther uh, Strange, is that? Yeah, Luther Strange and Judge Roy Moore are fighting for this. And it's weird because Roy Moore is considered the more Trumpian candidate. Roy Moore is the guy, remember, he was thrown off the, the bench. He was a judge, top judge, and he was thrown off the bench because he wouldn't remove, even after a federal order, he wouldn't remove the Ten Commandments from the courthouse, which is a stupid thing to order in the first place, but he wouldn't do it. Then he got back his judgeship, and he was thrown off again because he wouldn't sanction gay marriage, even after the feds said you had to sanction gay marriage. So the weird thing about this is Trump is supporting the guy he calls Big Luther, because uh, Luther Strange, who is the Mitch McConnell candidate, he's kind of the establishment candidate, all the old Trumpians like Steve Bannon are down there fighting for Roy Moore. They're fighting for him because they think he is the insurgent. So this is the vote is going on today. And then the question is, of course, if Roy Moore gets it, because Roy Moore is ahead in the polls, will he beat the Democrat, Doug Jones. And there's all kinds of local stuff here because Luther Strange was investigating. He was the, uh, I can't remember, the attorney general. He was investigating the governor. The governor had this big scandal because he had an affair and he started doing favors for his mistress and all this stuff. And so he was on, 
uh, on Scandal Watch, and he appointed the guy who was investigating him to the Senate to fill in Jeff Sessions. So he's kind of tainted. So that may uh, be skewing this as well. But I just want to play you a couple of cuts of this guy, Roy Moore, because you do not hear people like this in the mainstream at all. This is Judge Roy Moore, cut number eight, talking at a, a rally yesterday before the vote today. We've forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied, enriched, and strengthened us and vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our own hearts that all of these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. Intoxicated with unbroken success, we've become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace, too proud to pray to the God who made us. We've got to go back to God. We've got to go back to a moral base. Now, you don't hear that kind of speech in Washington, D.C. You don't hear it on the mainstream media. It's the thing that gets made fun of in the movies. That guy, if this guy's a character in the movies, he makes fun of it. And you want to see something that really had the, lib the lib liberals' hair on fire. He then goes on to talk about the fact that he was accused of not supporting the Second Amendment. Watch this. If you're watching, you got to see this. If you don't, I'll describe it afterwards. It's been very hard for my wife and myself to wither two, nearly three months of negative ads that we couldn't answer with money because we didn't have it. Ads that were completely false. That I don't believe in the Second Amendment. I believe in the Second Amendment. <laughs> he pulls a gun, a handgun out of his pocket. He's giving a politician, giving a speech for the Senate. I mean, there's something so American about that. You know, you can see that happening like in 1872, you know, it's just a, a terrific moment. All I'm saying here is these people, the people he's speaking to, are forgotten. They're forgotten on the East Coast. They're forgotten in the movies. They're forgotten on TV. There's no comedian on TV speaking to them. They're forgotten in this sport. When the guy goes out and disses the flag, what do you think those people are thinking about him? They are forgotten. And we don't speak for him. The intellectual right doesn't speak for him. The, the right who is so horrified by Donald Trump. And listen, I'm part of that. You know, I am part of that group. I look at Donald Trump and there's something about him that goes up my spine. He's, you know, he's boorish, he's bullying and all this stuff. But he is speaking for those people and those people are part of our base and part of our movement and they deserve a piece of the culture and he is giving it to them and I just think that matters. Let's bring on Christian Toto and talk about this more. Christian Toto is a friend. He's an award-winning journalist, film critic, and podcaster. He's the founder of HollywoodInToto.com, one of the only places where you can read about the movies from a right-wing perspective from a guy who actually knows something about the movies. I mean, right-wingers are always writing about the movies, but they don't really know anything about the movies. You can find him on Twitter at Hollywood in Toto, T-O-T-O, at Hollywood in Toto. How you doing, Christian? It's good to see you. I'm great. <laughs> good to see you. I, I want to have some of those steaks if you can. <laughs> <laughs> I know. They're so good. They're so... Um, you wrote a piece recently in which that actually had me in it, um, where you asked about boycotting, uh, whether it's right to boycott films. Let's be, begin. Why did you write the piece? What brought that into your mind at the time? It was before Trump talked about boycotting the NFL. Yeah, you know, it's something that I never would have imagined writing two years ago or maybe even one year ago. But I feel like the, the landscape is changing and shifting. And I think that for years, Hollywood uh, conservatives have been basically fighting like the uh, the Marquis of Queensbury rules, where we, we're all 
kind of doing this and, and, and following the rules and doing what we're supposed to do. And the other side is, is slinging mud and kicking our shins and rabbit punching us. And I get the sense that people are just fed up. You know, I, Kurt Schlichter is, is a guy on Twitter who's often just really aggressive and hardcore. And I think in the past, I would say, oh, tone it down, Kurt. You're a great guy. I love you. Now I'm almost cheering him on when he kind of goes on his diatribes. And I, I just think that we can't keep playing the same way we've been on the right. And so I want to reach out to a bun bunch of prominent people like yourself to find out what they're thinking. And, and, and I got a variety of responses. But again, I don't think those responses would be the same as maybe a year ago. I think people understand there's something significant going on in the culture. And the same old, same old is not working. It's not changing things. It's not helping our cause. And that's that's why I wanted to investigate. You know, I, I mean, I, I when I read the piece, uh, I'm in it and Ben Shapiro's in it. I think Kurt is in it, too. Um, and, and, you know, we all have, I think, this reluctance. I know I do. I mean, I, I don't I'm a mm. I'm a political uh, uh, person, but I'm also a novelist. I've written films. Most of my novels are I, I won't call them apolitical, but they're thriller novels. They're meant to be entertaining and, you know, gripping and all this stuff. And I would hate to have. You know, I, I have been hate-bombed by people where they put bad reviews up for you on Amazon and all this stuff, and it does seem unfair to me, and I'd hate to respond to them this way. But, and I, this is the big but, when I look at the landscape and I see no late-night comedians who are on the right, when I see no movies that are on the right, when I see nobody stand up at the Emmys or the Oscars and say, hey, let's give Donald Trump a chance, you know, stop dissing your audience all the time, it, it changes your mind. I mean, I think that at least a boycott is some kind of cultural statement, isn't it? Yeah, and you know, I almost think you could just do the opposite and just say, hey, you know, Dwayne Johnson doesn't shove his politics in, in my face. Kevin Hart doesn't do that. Jeff Bridges is kind of magnanimous when it comes to Donald Trump. Maybe I support there. Maybe it's sort of a reverse move where you put more attention, more uh, more dollars into their coffers and say, hey, I like them. I like their approach. I'm going to do it because I think what we've seen over the weekend with the NFL is we're exhausted, where everything is political, where we have no escape. There is no more way to kind of just check out and put the politics aside and say, hey, I want to watch a football game. I want to watch the X-Files. But now I've got David Duchovny on a knee sharing a video, of a picture of that on Instagram and social media. I'm exhausted. My fellow conservatives are exhausted. We need a break. And the fact that all the powers that be don't realize that it staggers me. Well, I think I think it, it's indicative of two different attitudes. The the right feels that the arts, sports, uh, and and the culture should be somehow above politics at some level. But the left feels like no, no, no. You know, every minute of every day, you need to be reminded that America is racist. Mm -hmm. You're a racist. You're a homophobic. Every day. I mean, I you know, I started to watch Stephen King, and I'm a big. King fan, I started to watch Stephen King's uh, The Mist, and and in the first five minutes, there were like three lectures on tolerance toward <laughs> transgender, you know, gay people. And and by the way, I feel quite very tolerant toward gay people, certainly. And you know, I'm not uh, I'm not opposed to people being transgender. I just don't want to be lectured. I just want to see a monster in the mist kill somebody. You know, so it's like you say you say we are weary of it, but they never stop. No, and, and, and a lecture is the opposite of entertainment. That's right. It takes you out of the situation, it puts you in a different place, and it's not storytelling. I mean, at the core of it, 
you know, I always refer to George A. Romero from Dawn of the Dead. He wanted to comment about consumerism, and he's got zombies lurking in a, in a mall. And there wasn't a speech. It was a visual, and you could take away, oh, look, there's zombies in the mall, or think, boy, that's just like my uncle and, and aunt when they're kind of, you know, walking through the mall looking for something to buy, bored. I mean, it, it let the viewer make the interpretation where they can sort of dictate how they wanted to appreciate it. And it works on multiple levels. And I think that's smart. And I have no problem with that. And I have no problem with an actor saying, I want to vote for Hillary or Obama. It's the lecture. It's the it's the condescension. And it's the hate. And we're seeing a lot of hate right now. No, no question. Did, did you see Logan Lucky? I did. I was I was amused by it. I, I think I expected more given yeah. the cast and given the talent behind the scenes. Uh, you know, uh, Soderbergh basically said that he just w suddenly realized that these people exist, and he basically, <laughs> you know, remade Ocean's Eleven with them in it, you know, with hill hillbillies in it. Do you think Trump is causing any kind of awakening at all? I mean, I notice on TV, uh, SEAL Team is coming on, and there's some mm -hmm. things about, you know, more military shows. I know that some of the people on these shows, I, I know personally, are left-wingers. But still, they, you know, I mean, at least they're uh, paying tribute to the military, paying tribute to America. You assume a show about SEAL Team is going to have some, some patriotism in it. Do you think mm -hmm. Trump has caused any kind of awakening with these folks at all? If it is, it's minor. There was some lip service paid to that. The head of ABC mentioned, you know, we need to respect the election, look at our programming and see who we are addressing, who is the subject of our stories. But I haven't seen much synth in it. And actually, once that person said that, they went out and canceled Last Man Standing, one of the few shows with Tim Allen that spoke to another side of America. So I don't think so. I think the hatred is all-consuming and where you've got people who are genuinely talented and who could do the right thing or at least tell stories that are more inclusive, they're shutting down. They're, they're, the tantrum we're seeing from Hollywood has not abated. In fact, it may be getting stronger. So, yeah, I think that was a great opportunity to say, hey— let us reevaluate. Let us look at our programming in ourselves and the stories we're telling. And, you know, I give, I don't think that Logan Lucky is a good film or a great film, but at least he had that wherewithal to say, there are more people that are unlike me out there. I'm going to address them. I'm going to treat them with a modicum of respect, and I'm going to branch out my storytelling. And so A for effort, even if the movie's not a classic. Yeah, and I could, I could hear, like, uh, I could hear liberals on... Uh, podcasts kind of saying, why Why did he make this? Why are these people there? You know, why? And, you know, it has NASCAR in it and all these things. And I thought, I thought, like, yeah, a NASCAR fan could go to this movie and enjoy people that he maybe, you know, mm -hmm. who maybe live around him, watch them kind of rip off the man. It's kind of fun in, in, in some way. Is, you know, we, I always feel that conservatives are in this defensive posture with the culture. They make the movies. The left makes the movies. The left makes the TV shows. The left writes the novels and publishes the novels. We criticize. We say, oh, that's not good. That's not. Where can, how do you feel? I mean, I have ideas on this myself, but how do you feel we can start to make a contribution besides attacking and boycotting them? Well, I think we do it in part on social media because it takes regular citizens to fight back and to expose the hypocrisy and lies. And I think that that's done. I mean, I, I give my fellow conservatives a lot of credit. I think what they do on, on social media is outstanding. And I think it holds people uh, to account for what they say. But we're still, I mean, you and I have this conversation every, every year or two. Yeah. We're still not seeing the influx of programming, the content. 
And you know, the bar for programming is so low now where you can have a YouTube channel, you can have a small indie film made for a half a million dollars. I mean, I think that's where we have to kind of start making inroads. You know, it's not gonna be a hundred million dollar big budget film. We don't have that capacity yet, but we do have the capacity to make smaller films, to make documentaries and work our way into the, into the space. And I think that's the steps that need to be taken. And I think there are some moments there and some, some feints, but we're not there yet. Yeah, it's really, I mean, when I see the reaction to uh, Trump on the football thing and the right saying, why is he doing this? Why, you know, my, I feel like the Joker in Batman. Why so serious? You know, this is this is where the, this is the field of play. This is where the culture takes place. Christian Toto, go to HollywoodInToto.com. You know, we need these voices. We need voices like yours, Christian, and people have to come out, come and see what you're doing at HollywoodInToto.com or find him on Twitter at HollywoodInToto, T-O-T-O. Christian, we'll talk to you again soon, I hope. Thanks so much. Thanks a lot. Bye. Let me, let me just go back for a minute to the healthcare thing that's happening, okay? John McCain comes out and he says, I can't support, this, this is this Graham Cassidy thing, and it's not perfect, I'm not saying it is, it's some kind of strike back, it moves some of the funding out to the states, a little bit more federalism and all this stuff. John McCain comes out and he says, I can't support this because it's not bipartisan. Now, you tell me, I'm an imaginative guy, I can't imagine a bipartisan uh, solution to this. The left isn't going to go for anything. So basically, I, I actually suspect deep down that John McCain is just sticking it to Donald Trump. He doesn't want him to do anything, you know, and he just is, is giving it to him. They bring John McCain on 60 Minutes. First, take a look at Jimmy Kimmel. Jimmy Kimmel has been crusading for this. He doesn't do a monologue anymore. He just gets up there and he just lectures people and hammers people. And this is, and he's allowed, you know, it's like the network doesn't say to him, Jimmy, you know, be funny. We hired you to be funny. Be funny. He is allowed to use their air, which is public air. It is regulated by the FCC. It is public air. He is allowed to use this to push his agenda. Here's his reaction to news that this Graham Cassidy may die. I went on TV, I spoke out, and we may have stopped Cassidy Graham. I still can't believe we pulled it off, but we did. It's amazing, isn't it? Patting himself on the back, teaching his audience to applaud. You know, it's like they're, it's, it's like they're training monkeys. They are training monkeys to be left wing. McCain then goes on 60 Minutes. I, they call it an interview. It was more like a sex act. I, I mean, I'm not going to get explicit, but Leslie Stahl, I mean, was all over this guy. And listen to McCain, who loves this. He lives for this. He lives to see himself praised in the New York Times, a former newspaper, on CBS. My God. And listen to him creating his character for Leslie Stahl. I don't know what he's going to do tomorrow, so, <laughs> or say tomorrow. Leslie, he changes his, his statements almost on a daily basis. So for me to spend my time trying to analyze what he says, I don't know. Did he ever apologize for saying you're not a hero? No. If the president wanted to have a rapprochement with you, mm -hmm. would you be receptive? Of course. Of course. I've supported him on national security. I've but supported personal, his team. I'm talking about personal? man to man. Sure. I'd be glad to converse with him. But I also understand that we're very different people, different upbringing, different life experiences. What do you mean by that? And what, what does it make you 
think about it. He is in the business of making money, and he has been successful, both on television as well as Miss America and others. I was raised in a military family. I was raised in the concept and belief that duty, honor, country is the, is the lodestar for the behavior that we have to exhibit every single day. You know, if I were in a political fight and I heard the words coming out of my mouth, well, he makes money and I'm for honor and duty and country, I would ask myself, am I just kidding myself? <laughs> I just, you know, I mean, we're all, we're all like, you know, coming from someplace. We all have personal things that we're doing. But this idea that he, that McCain just loves to go on CBS and portray himself as being for honor, duty, and country, where evil Donald Trump is for just for making money, you know, just for making money. A lot of good has been done in, in this country by people who make money, and a lot of bad has been done by people who conceive of themselves as the emblems of honor, duty, and country. My point is only this. McCain is playing to the culture. McCain is a creation of the culture. McCain is a creature of the culture. And Trump knows how to fight back. Trump fought back by, by tweeting this montage of McCain during his campaigns. Repeal and replace Obamacare as soon as possible. Repeal and replace Obamacare. With all this euphoria that's going on, it's inside the Beltway, champagne toasting and all that. Outside the Beltway, the American people are very angry and they don't like it. And they're gonna, and we're gonna try to repeal this, and we are going to have a very spirited campaign coming up between now and November, and there will be a very heavy price to pay for it. It is also the first time that, on a pure partisan basis, a major piece of legislation has been passed, and it's gonna be historic because it's gonna be repealed and replaced. We need to have a vote on it because we promised the people we would. You know, I told you yesterday, I get attacked from every side. You can go on my blog, you can even go on the comments for this show, and you will see people calling me a Trump supporter, you'll see them calling me anti-Trump, you will see them calling me a secret liberal, you'll see them calling me a right-wing fascist. I get it from every single side. And, I, you know, I have all kinds of reservations and misgivings about Donald Trump, but the one thing that I appreciate about him is that he has a, that he is a voice for people whose voice has been stripped away, for a voice for people who have lost every access to mainstream communications. And I think we have to give him credit for that, and we have to give him credit and at least listen. Even if you don't like Trump, even if you don't like Donald Trump, you got to listen to the people that he was that who sent him to Washington because they're us, they're part of America. You know, we listen, you know, all these all these uh, ball players keep saying we have no other way to make a protest. They're on national TV. They're on national TV being watched by tens of millions of people. You know, a guy in, in his home, a factory worker, an out-of-work guy, he has no audience. He has no audience. Donald Trump has his audience, and Donald Trump is speaking in his voice, and we ought to listen, and we ought to not make fun of him when he's doing it because he's doing it for a reason. Sexual follies. I just love the thing where he falls off the she falls off the end. All right. Here's a in the New York Times, which you may have heard used to be a newspaper, right? 
Marriage, which used to be the default way to form a family in the United States, regardless of income or education, has become yet another part of American life reserved for those who are most privileged. Now, let's think about that for a minute. Is marriage reserved for those who are most privileged? Is that a truth? Is that a true story? I mean, is, it, is there something, if you show up at a justice of the peace and say, this is my girlfriend, I'd like to marry her, does he say, ah, you know, you're just not dressed. I, you, I, you're just not, you don't have that thing. I don't like your accent. You know, you don't have enough money. I mean, what does it cost to get married? 50 bucks, you know? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. This is... That's an amazing lead, okay? So it's a question of privilege. You now have to feel guilty about being married, okay? Fewer Americans are marrying overall, and whether they do so is more tied to socioeconomic status than ever before. In recent years, marriage has sharply declined among people without college degrees while staying steady among college graduates with higher incomes. This is just reaching the New York Times. We all knew this before, but it is just reaching them. Currently, 26% of poor adults, 39% of working-class adults, and 56% of middle and upper class adults ages 18 to 55 are married, according to a research brief published from two think tanks, the American Enterprise Institute and Opportunity America. When thinking about how to make families more stable, in other words, after the 60s, what happened was after the 60s, we were told, you know, marriage was no good, the, the family was no good, the suburbs were no good, America was no good, and all this stuff. As always with these elite things, these come from the top, they come from the people who were raised in suburbs, were raised by nice families and all this, and they rebel and they make these speeches and the press picks it up, and the poor follow them. The poor follow these, uh, this advice and get screwed, and the rich say, nah, you know what, that wasn't such a good idea, and they start to get married again. The rich go to church, the rich work hard, the rich know not to have babies out of wedlock, because, you know, because they're, they, they are the leaders, they're the thought leaders, but they don't go back and say to the poor, oops, you know, oops, we made a mistake. Now our television shows are going to tell you that it's good to be married. Now our TV shows and our spokesmen and our movie stars are going to stop getting divorced six times. They're going to start to tell you that it's a good thing to be married. They don't correct their errors. The article goes on. When thinking about how to make families more stable, researchers debate whether the decline in marriage is an economic issue or a cultural one. Those on the left usually say it's economic and could be reversed if there were more and better jobs for men without college degrees. Those on the right are more likely to say it's because of a deterioration of cultural values. Well, I've talked about this before, that some of this is, in fact, economic, but these guys don't want to admit the cultural side of it because they did it. They're guilty. It's like it's not, it's not the fault of the right that the economy uh, sometimes goes bad. It is the fault of the left that, of the left that the culture has gone bad. I mean, there were st stories. I just clipped one out. Uh, 2011, I think this is from the New York Times, former newspaper. former newspaper, right? Men who needs them. Men who needs them. The term mammal is based on an objective analysis of shared traits. The genus name for human beings, Homo, reflects an 18th century masculine bias in science. That bias, however, is becoming harder to sustain as men become less relevant to both reproduction and parenting. Good thinking, New York Times. You know, this is 60 years of men being run down, 60 years of marriage being run down, 60 years of women being told they don't have to know how to make a home, they don't have to know how to cook, they don't have to bring anything to the marriage. All they bring to the marriage is privilege. All the men, man brings is responsibility. It's funny. Why aren't people getting married? You know, why aren't people getting married? That would be another interesting thing to see how many of the upper-class women are actually staying home and taking care of their children, which at least makes them valuable to the husband because it means he can go out and provide for them. 
Sexual follies. Play that thing again. I gotta end at least with a laugh. Never mind. I, I'm sorry. I, I find it amusing. All right. The mailbag is tomorrow. Get your questions in now. Yeah, they, we can have an actual live woohoo. <laughs> woohoo! <laughs> it makes it so, it makes it the real mailbag, you know. This is the time. Get your questions in. You got to subscribe to get them in. We will answer them all. I'm Andrew Claven. This is The Andrew Claven Show. We'll see you then.